Welcome to the Storyform Podcast, where we journey together at the intersection of faith and story. I'm your host, Will Chenault, Soul Care Pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Let's get this conversation started. Well, today I have the privilege of sitting down with my friend and colleague, Jacob Chamberlain. And Jacob is the campus pastor of our South Campus. And he has a really incredible story, uh, which I want our podcast audience to hear, which is why I've asked him to come on the podcast. Jacob, thanks for agreeing to do this. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. So, Jacob, um, I know a little bit of your story, and I know that Christ changed you in a in a very um, powerful and radical way, and I want to talk about that. But before we do that, let's just begin with this: What was life like for you before you met Christ? Yeah, well, uh, me and my uh, family. I grew up in Southern California, and um, at a young age, my parents got divorced. I was, I think, I was around five years old, and. Um, you know, my parents were trying to do the best they could, just like anybody, but my, my dad struggled with alcohol. And, um, so they separated and, and my mom ended up taking us. And so she was trying to raise three kids. And then she met my stepdad and, um, he had a son and we became a blended family. And again, um, you know, he was trying to do the best that he could for us. And just like we all do. And, uh, so I did good. I, I was a good kid in school. Um, all the way through elementary. And then by the time I hit junior high, things just started to fall apart. I wanted to be the, you know, the cool kid. I didn't want to be the kid getting on a roll and all those things. And so um, I just started doing bad stuff and which ultimately started progressing more and more uh, experimenting with drugs and, and um, experimenting with things I shouldn't be doing. Um, at such a young age, and uh, before I knew it, when I was about 16, um, I started doing harder drugs and drinking, and uh, so it, it just it went downhill from there. Um, so back up a little bit. When I was 13 years old, I, I was growing up in a Christian home. You know, we were at church all the time, but when I was 13 years old, we had gone to a camp, a winter camp for kids, and um, a youth camp. And so at that camp, I had this experience where the man was on the stage asking if you wanted to be saved, just raise your hand, mm-hmm. you know? And so I raised my hand and said, yes, I want this. And I had some kind of emotional experience to this day. I don't know if I was truly saved at that point. I believe that I was. And, um, but anyways, I, it was great, you know, and everything was great for a couple of days while we we're at camp. But then I went home and all my old sins and, and temptations were waiting for me. And I, there was not a lot of struggle there. I turned my back on the Lord and pursued those things for the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, you know, went out looking for pleasure, you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, like the scripture talks about. I went out looking for those things and pursuing those things every which way I could and just indulged myself in every way possible and that lasted for quite a few years. Um, and then there came a point in my life where the drugs were no longer working. The pleasure was no longer there. And uh, I tried to escape and I tried, you know, tried to find pleasure where I could and I couldn't find it anywhere in the world. And I found myself in serious, serious bondage. Um, 
I was now a drug addict. There was no, <laughs> there was no lying about it. I was hooked and I couldn't stop and I wasn't getting pleasure for it, from it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I knew I was hooked. Um, mm-hmm. It was bad. You knew you were hooked. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was pretty dark. It was, um, so, you know, just to be candid, you know, I was, I started using needles. I used needles for about 10 years. I, I progressed pretty rapidly in the drug scene. Mm. Um, speed or meth was my big drug of choice. And so it started out smoke, uh, snorting it. They went to smoking it. So how old? Um, I think probably about 18, 19 years old when I started using real heavy Okay, and then, uh, started shooting up when I was probably about 20. Mm. Um, and then just kept doing that for the next 10 years. And so, yeah, it was just, it was a dark, dark time. And, uh, I found myself, like I said, in bondage, just, just serious, serious bondage. I could not get out of. And then by the time, um, Christ got a hold of me and, 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 and just like reawakened the hope in me, I was actually shooting up and not getting any pleasure from it. It was just a habit. Mm. And it was scary because I wanted that pleasure so bad that had become my God that, um, I was doing bigger and bigger amounts uh, more and more dangerous things to try to get that high. And I was scared because there was two parts of me, one part that wanted the drug and one part that wanted to stop. And the part that wanted to stop, he had no power at all. And I knew I was being driven towards death. So mm. it was pretty scary. Mm. During that time, did, did, did you have any sort of uh, sense of that other part of you that wanted freedom? Was there any sort of time that you you had any sort of reprieve from the addiction? Well, yeah. Um, the, so the first time I was arrested, I, um, I spent six years in prison over those years, okay. um, three different times. And so the first time I was arrested and put in prison, it was kind of like uh, a camp to me. I was in there having a good time, still doing drugs and, and getting into all the politics in prison and you know, trying to be the tough guy in there. And then, so I got out, started using again, which I couldn't believe. I was shocked because I'm like, man, do you want to go back to that? Mm. But I- Couldn't. Yeah. And so I started to get a clear picture that um, you might not be in control anymore. And so anyways, I got arrested the second time and went in. And this time I decided that in my own strength, I was no longer going to do drugs. I didn't want to be a drug addict. Mm -hmm. I, I was going to stop. And so I- really like kind of grabbed a hold of myself while I was sitting in county jail fighting my case and said, we're done. You're not doing this anymore. I was super tough on myself. I made myself exercise, work out. I was very strict with bedtimes and all those things, very disciplined. And it worked great while you're sitting in county jail. And there's not a lot of temptations, mm-hmm. but uh, I had a new cellmate come in from the streets. And when he walked in, he held up a bag of speed and he wow. said, he had been able to get it in. He said, wow. you want to get high? And without a thought, I said, yep. And I grabbed that bag and he went to bed because he was tired and I did that entire bag right there. And it was at that moment that that was a life-changing moment for me where I realized I was not in control. Mm-hmm. So there was, a, there was a moment where I thought I was, mm-hmm. where I had that reprieve, but then kind of the covers were pulled and I realized... I was not in control and things, that's when things spiraled way out of control for me. Were you in, uh, incarcerated because of drugs? 
The first time, yes, um, I was, well, ultimately, yes, all of them were. The first time I got arrested, I got arrested at a home where meth was being uh, manufactured. Oh, wow. And so I ended up going to prison for what was supposed to be seven years. I got out in four for manufacturing a controlled substance. Mm -hmm. Um, The second time, um, I was doing things I shouldn't be doing Mm -hmm. and uh, ended up going to prison for receiving stolen property, Mm -hmm. which, you know, it was all to feed my habit. Right. And then got out and went back one more time, and that was for second-degree burglary. Mm-hmm. And so you can see just in my crimes how, how I am deteriorating, mm-hmm. you know, how I'm getting more and more desperate. First, I was like, you know, the kingpin manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, it's receiving mm-hmm. stolen property. And then the next thing you know, a second-degree burglary breaking into, you know, breaking yeah. into a car. I mean, come on. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I went to prison for around drugs. Mm-hmm. And so this, you were spiraling out of control. You knew you were out of control. You knew that um, this is not the life that you wanted to live. Um, there, there was, it sounds like there was a recognition that I cannot change on my own. Yeah, absolutely. There was. Um, and I, like I explained, it happened that second time I went to prison. And then uh, when I got out, things really were nasty because I knew I wasn't in control. I knew I couldn't stop. And so... You know, I was doing things I never would have done before, like shooting up after people who told me they had hepatitis, you know, sharing needles with people, Um, stuff I'm just even ashamed to admit, but it helps to paint the picture of what Christ has delivered me from. And so, um, yeah, things, I I was hopeless. I was without hope. Um, I had forgotten all about God, forgotten that he was even there. Um, I guess somewhere in my mind, I had tried God and he had failed. (laughs) <laughs> and so I was completely, totally hopeless, basically just waiting to die. Mm-hmm. So how did Christ meet you in the midst of that? Yeah, so I was in the middle of all that, um, you know, living on the streets like I did my whole life, but now living on the streets was getting to the point where it was literally on the streets. Before I had friends that would take me in for years and years and years. I, you know, as a good salesman, I could, I could work my way into places, but by this time, no one wanted me around. I didn't want to be around myself. Um, there was an abandoned motor home before, behind my friend's house. I was sleeping in. I mean, it was terrible. Um, my friends hated me. I hated me. I hated them. And, but they were, you know, we were just in addiction together. Mm-hmm. And so we were out front playing horseshoes one day and I just remember that all of a sudden, out of nowhere, um, I just felt, sensed, heard this voice in my head that said, I'm here. Wow. I'm here. And with those two words, those two little words, hope was rekindled in me. It was, um, I thought, oh yeah, I can turn to the Lord. I can turn to God. And so it was at that point where the Lord met me. Mm. So what was life like from that moment that you're, you're, you hear that God reaches out to you, reminds you, I'm with you, I'm here. Where does life go from there? Well, pretty much the same. You know, I was on the run at that time. I was running from the police because I'd been on parole and I wasn't checking in. So they were looking for me. The house I was staying at was a known drug house. And so there was always that danger there. But that hope was there. I kept shooting up. I kept doing all that stuff. Nothing changed. Mm -hmm. Kept being miserable and 
But I was telling everybody, hey, when I get arrested this time, I'm done. I'm going to become a Christian. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they were laughing at me. Yeah, right. You know, we've heard this before. I said, no, this is it. I'm done. But I kept doing mm-hmm. what I was doing. I, I mean, I understand their skepticism. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, probably they've heard it before. And so anyways, uh, I went, eventually I ended up getting arrested. It's almost, you wanted to get arrested. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did. Like there was those two parts of me again, where, because when the cops pulled up, we were in the garage with the door kind of halfway open, heard the helicopter overhead. I, I ducked out, I, I stepped out the door, I saw the helicopter, I heard the tires screech out front and I took off running out the back. And I ran and I hopped about this 10 foot fence, I mean like in one leap, mm-hmm. got up on top of it and there were two policemen back there in the alley. They mm-hmm. had the house surrounded yeah. and I just dropped down and I was like, well, that's it. And so um, that was the beginning of the end for me. Uh, I often think of that worship song, death was arrested and my life began. You know, that, oh, wow. that's kind of my story when I was arrested. And um, at that point, that's when my true life began. Mm-hmm. Well, describe that. You're arrested, you go back to jail. This is the third time. Yeah, this was in about April, 2006. So we're coming up on uh, 15 years here in a couple months. And so I had a little bit of speed still in my pocket that they didn't find. And so on the way to where the Chino State Prison, where you go as a parolee when you're arrested, I took that little bag out of my pocket and swallowed it. And that was in April, 2006. That was the last time I've touched a drug since. So um, went to Chino State Prison and was still resistant. I mean, it wasn't like someone flipped a switch and all of a sudden I was a different person, but I went in there and was my old self working out, um, became the rep for our dorm. Um, just, you know, being the tough guy, being the guy that I'd always been. But over time, God was calling to me, calling gently to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, so I was in a dorm and in that dorm, I shared a bunk with a guy who happened to be a Christian who just happened to have a Bible study on his bed every day. Wow. And so I was forced to hear this thing. Now I would, you know, act upset and walk away. And, but over time I began sitting there and listening and pretty soon I was reading scripture myself. And then the next thing, you know, I was, I transferred prisons, went to another prison and I'm going to church on the yard there. And, uh, and it was at that point that I just, I don't remember a point in time, but I remember a feeling. I remember a sense of being free, um, I remember laying in a prison cell, finally sober, finally clear-headed, thinking about all the damage I had done to myself, all the risk I'd put in myself, all the disease I'd opened myself up to. And I remember just being so scared and praying to the Lord, asking him, Lord, will you please, if I've done anything to my body, will you please have mercy, heal me, fix me, whatever's necessary. I remember just feeling this warmth come over my stomach area. You know, I can't, it's real subjective, can't prove it through scripture or anything, but I know what I felt. I felt this warmth come over my stomach and I knew in that moment that anything I had had, I still don't know if I did, was gone. And so I didn't just assume yeah. when I ended up getting out of prison, I got tested for everything, you know, month after month after month and I didn't have anything. Oh so uh, anyways, I was in prison in uh, Tehachapi State Prison and no, actually I was in Ironwood at this time. 
and uh, went to church on the yard there. And there was a pastor there who was an inmate who was doing life. And between him and me, the Holy Spirit was just like working like crazy. Like it was just one of those great times I felt freer than I'd ever felt in my life. And I was in prison and I didn't have a Bible at that time. And so Pastor Jackson, he gave me this huge, what would have been like your grandma's Bible that goes on a coffee table. And I carried that thing around the yard. Mm -hmm. I read it day after day after day. Mm -hmm. And I was completely just on fire free. Um, Mm -hmm. I would, you know, there was times I was getting threatened by people because this Pastor Jackson was a black guy. Mm -hmm. And in prison, I don't know about here in Tennessee, but in California, you don't mix. Mm -hmm. You you stay segregated. Mm -hmm. And we were hugging each other. You know, we were hanging out. Mm -hmm. You know, we were in church and together and he was my friend. And so there were times I was getting threatened. Hey, you can't be doing that stuff on the yard. You know, like testing, seeing where I was at. Mm I didn't care. You know, I, I felt like I was, I was, you know, like in the, in the book of Acts, you know, I was suffering persecution for my faith. I was happy to do it. So it was a real, just a, a sweet time of fellowship with the Lord where he was, I was truly, truly saved. And um, man, I just, it was a great time. Mm-hmm. So I have this image of you carrying around the big uh-huh. coffee table Bible, reading it constantly. As you began to read the scripture Thinking back on that time, what was it that, what was it that captured you? Is there anything that comes to mind? What was it that you were learning, that you that you said that that compelled you? Um, I don't remember anything specific uh, that I was reading. It was just a hunger for the Word of God. It was mm-hmm. feeding something in me. It's like I had eaten garbage for so long, and finally I had gotten some some healthy food, and I was. Mm-hmm. I was being cleansed and washed by the water of the word. It was more of that kind of thing, just um, wanting pureness, wanting holiness. And that's where I found it. Mm-hmm. And so there was this one time where um, I was sitting at, and I've told the story often, but I was sitting at the desk in my cell and my cellmate had gone out to night yard and I was sitting there and I was reading Hebrews 12 in my big, huge Bible. And the presence of the Lord just filled um, that cell and I just got to experience the glory of the Lord. I felt like it was like Moses had experienced mm. um, where the glory of the Lord passed by and he got to just see the the hind parts of God, it says. But that's what it was like. And in that moment, I felt like my whole life was laid flat before the Lord. And it was, it could have been very scary, but I felt the Lord smiling upon me. And in that moment, I got to see that before the Lord, all things are open and naked before the eyes of the Lord. He saw every secret motive for every action I'd ever taken. And in that moment, so did I. And that was a huge blessing to me because to this day, I realize he is always that close. He is closer than my own thoughts. And so when I'm praying, I'm reminded of how close he is. And just for that moment, he pulled back heaven and let me see how close he is. So I've never forgot that closeness. Mm. There was another time where, Um, I had been, so in Ironwood State Prison, I had that rich time of fellowship on the, on the yard with the, uh, the church and Pastor Jackson. And I would go to Spanish services, even though I didn't understand Spanish, I was just so hungry for the word, you know, and I would have a friend translate the sermon into my ear, but I went through this, to this rich, from this rich environment back to county jail and county jail is awful. There's people coming down, there's people withdrawing, no one knows what's going to happen. People are stressed and anxious. You don't know if you're going to get life or you could possibly get out tomorrow. And it was kind of like I was in a desert. I was in a wilderness. 
And I remember um, one, one, one day I was just sitting there and the Lord just spoke to me. I, w- I was actually laying in my bed. It was about three in the morning. And all of a sudden he woke me up and I just had in my head Deuteronomy 32.10, Deuteronomy 32.10 over and over until I got up out of bed. And, and I couldn't, um, I didn't know what it was, but I got down, I picked up my Bible and read the scripture. And it said he found him in a desert land, a wilderness, a howling wilderness. He encircled him, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. Mm. And just so there, there were those times where the Lord used the word to speak to me. Um, and so that just increased my hunger for the word during wow. that time. Yeah, unbelievable. The Lord had met you and was continuing to reveal himself and, incredibly powerful ways. And so um, during that time, during that desert time, when did that end? Yeah, so that was, I think it was about October of um, 2006 at that time. Um, I ended up getting sentenced. Um, I got, I don't remember how much time I got, but I got credit for all the time, I credit for time served mm-hmm. and and pleaded to a, like a lesser charge. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was basically free, but I had to—I still had to go up to Tehachapi State Prison to be released from there. And so went up there for a couple months and spent spent time in reception on the reception yard there. And then in February, I think it was February of two thousand and seven, uh, I was released, mm-hmm. and that was the last time. That was my last time back. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't been back since. My mm-hmm. life has been completely different. I remember when um, I got out, my parents picked me up and, you know, they're the only ones left who would have anything to do with me. Mm-hmm. And so they came and picked me up and they said, they just knew. They said, I looked like, I looked better than they could ever remember me. Wow. Um, having looked, my grandpa, when he saw me, he said, my God, Jacob, you look like a young man again. Mm-hmm. And so God had done a, a not only a spiritual transformation, but it seemed like a physical mm-hmm. transformation as well. All that heaviness and, and sorrow and darkness was just, he'd washed me and cleansed me of it. Mm-hmm. So what were those years like as you were out of prison? They were great. Um, it, it, life has been great since because it, it was so dark before that mm-hmm. I enjoy even all the little things. There was 15 mm-hmm. deer in my yard this morning, you know, and it's just, mm-hmm. just thinking, man, Lord, I can't believe I live here in Tennessee where I get to see deer, but but my life during that time was, it was a time of testing and um, kind of bringing clarity to the fact that I was truly a changed person mm-hmm. because I went and lived back in the same town where I had been doing all this, you know, a little town called Mentone mm-hmm. in, uh, in Southern California. And I went back and lived there and saw old friends, not on purpose, you know, we would bump into each other. And never had any temptation to do anything like that. Went back and lived in my old house. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was, it, it was a time where I just got to see in truth, you know, I'm no longer isolated in prison where I don't have opportunities, but I'm right here in the heart of it. And so that's where uh, the rubber met the road. And, and that's where my relationships with my parents and my family were restored. And... Um, I continued my habit of of reading scripture, um, spending time with the Lord in prayer during that time when I was out, which was mm-hmm. huge to me. You know, I would I would 
walk away from the television, you know, and I would go spend time reading scripture. I would get up early and read scripture and I still do that to this day. Yeah. When did you meet Destiny? <laughs> that was that was actually I think it might have been the weekend I got out. Okay. We went to my mom and uh her husband Randy, my stepdad, took me to church they were going to, a church called Oasis in Redlands, California, which is where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And Destiny was there. And so we met, my mom knew her and, um, you know, she was much younger than me. She, she seemed like a kid, you know, and inexperienced with the ways of the world. And here I am fresh out of prison, you know? And so we just kind of, you know, met in passing and, but it's funny. She swears to this day that when, that when we met, that I was wearing all white, I was not wearing all. She swears you had white pants on and a white shirt. I said you did. I said that was a Lord. You you saw me as an angel or something. But I'd never in my life have worn all white. But anyways, so we met then in February in two thousand seven, and um, she was kind of like you know, I, I think she kind of looked at me like you know some scary guy, and I looked at her like maybe a little sister or something. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it, anyways, I started as you know, coincidence would have it. Of course it wasn't, but, um, I started working for her dad. I met her parents and started working for her dad for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then we would see each other occasionally and didn't really seem to like each other really too much. Mm-hmm. You know, she was weird and strange it's because you were all white all the time. <laughs> I guess, you know, she, to me, she was strange, you know, and, and I could not imagine dating someone because she had never had a boyfriend mm-hmm. here. She was 21 years old and had never dated. Mm-hmm. And she was waiting until she met her husband. And I thought, Whoa, you know, that was so foreign to me. I, I had heard of people like that, mm-hmm. but I'd never met anyone like that. And so it was this, it never want, it never crossed my mind that she was even a possibility of someone to be dating. Mm-hmm. And so we went that way for a couple of years, you know? Um, yeah. And I know she didn't think of me as someone to dating. She, I remember she says now that she always told the Lord, you know, I don't want someone who's 10 years older than me, which I am. Mm-hmm. And I don't want anyone who's been to prison, which I had. So I was not an option and she was not an option to me. Mm-hmm. So we went that way for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At what point did you know we're, we're going to get married? Well, um, what was at- that process like? At that church, you know, there were a lot of single girls there. Uh And so one by one in my head, I think, okay, maybe this one's a possibility. Maybe this one's a possibility, but I wasn't about to jump into anything. Mm -hmm. So I would take my Bible, I would go hiking, which I I used to love to do. And I would sit and pray about each and girl. And the Lord would speak to me through the scriptures. And each time it was like, no, I'm not in this. Don't do this. This is not the way kind of thing. And so one by one, they got shot down and then Destiny's stand, you know, the only one standing. Mm -hmm. And so I started thinking, well, maybe, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And so I did the same thing I always do. Took my Bible and went hiking and prayed to the Lord about it. And I got silence. Mm -hmm. I got absolutely nothing from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I think I did that a couple of times. And over time, I began to realize you're starting to grow up. You need to, it's like, this is what the Lord was telling me. You're starting to grow up. You're starting to be a more mature Christian. You need to make some decisions on your own. However, I'm not telling you no. Mm. I'm going to let you decide. If Mm -hmm. you want to pursue her, it's okay. And so um, all of a sudden it was like a light came on 
and I saw her for what she was, you know, it, it's like on the, the movies where, you know, the girl has braces and glasses and then someone gets her all dolled up and all of a sudden the guy sees like, man, I never saw her like that before. She was like my sister. And so I started looking at her differently and um, went and approached her one day and said, hey, I'd just like to get to know you. You know, I'd just like to hang out with you more. Mm-hmm. And left, she was completely, totally nervous, she told me. She just... But she said she prayed about it. She said the Lord told her, yes, mm. it's okay. Mm-hmm. And so the next day she showed up at my house, didn't call, did nothing, showed up at my door, mm-hmm. on my doorstep, knocking on my door, like, well, here I am. Mm-hmm. You want to get to know me? Here I am. And so mm-hmm. we got to know each other and I think we dated for three months mm-hmm. before I asked her to marry me. And then she was very nervous and I was in a hurry mm-hmm. to get married. It had mm-hmm. been a few years, mm-hmm. you know, since I'd had kind of any intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. And so um, we ended up waiting another three months. I, my pastors wisely advised we go through some marriage counseling and she was relieved. And so we went through marriage counseling and uh, we were married coming up here. Actually this weekend will be 12 years. Wow. 12 years ago we were married. Wow. Yeah. And within that 12 years, um, as you moved here to Tennessee, um, you you guys experienced a very difficult tragedy with the loss of Noah. Yeah, yeah. So um, when we moved to Tennessee, Destiny was actually pregnant. Mm-hmm. And we had, we had my daughter, Radiance, who is now nine. Mm-hmm. And uh, she we had a son on the way, mm-hmm. Noah. And um, so he was actually born in Tennessee, and everything was great. Life was great. Um, you know, I had found a job. We had bought a house, our first house. And, um, you know, in our minds, we were just living the dream and doing everything right. And then um, on January 14th, 2016, um, I got a call from Destiny. As I, I'm a truck driver. I, I was a truck driver. And I was driving down the road down to Mississippi, and I got a call from Destiny. She was panicked and and scared, and I instantly knew something was wrong. And you know, your blood kind of stops. I was four hours away from the house, and um, I just hear her say into the phone, "Noah's lost in the woods, and we can't find him." And so, um, just the fear I remember just gripped my heart. And so we had a little bit of a conversation, you know, kind of frantic conversation, hung up, and I turned around the truck and. Actually, I went and dropped my load off. I was very close to where I was supposed to be. And I thought, well, surely we'll find him. You know, we're, he's just a little bit, you know, he's lost. He's little, he can't get too far. And so I dropped my load off and I, you know, I started driving back. I was praying the whole way. Truck was governed at 65 miles an hour. So I, I was just, couldn't go fast, which is probably a blessing. But um, ended up getting back that night after dark. And I remember pulling up to the house and there were helicopters and there were search parties. There were trailers in the front yard. There were sheriffs everywhere. There was search and rescue. The media was there. Everybody was there. And I thought, my goodness, with all these people, surely we're going to find them. And so um, we searched, you know, I immediately ran into the woods. I started going in rivers and streams and going, you know, just anywhere I could think, but it was a big property. And uh, we ended up looking all that night and, and never found them that night. And so the sun comes up the next day. We've been searching all night in the dark. And I think, well, surely today we're going to find Noah. Surely it's sunny. I had a, just an optimistic attitude. It had been warm the night before. I thought, man, 
I'm sure he's fine. And this went on for a week and the weather continued to get colder and colder. And, you know, I didn't let that, I don't think destiny did either. We didn't let that, um, (laughs) maybe unrealistically, but we continued to believe that he was alive out there. And so what we started doing, we started searching in these big holes that were actually warm because they were beneath the ground thinking, man, he's got to be in one of these holes. And then on uh, January 21st, which was actually one week after he got lost in the woods, we got the word from the sheriff. They brought us into the kitchen and they said, we found Noah. And still that optimism, that hope, you know, I remember saying, oh man, is he okay? Is he okay? And then I remember Sheriff Weaver just shaking his head, you know, no. And it was at that point that everybody just about collapsed all the weight of all that week and all the energy and adrenaline and just stress and anxiety just came crashing down on us. And, um, we just, we melted. And, uh, so after, I don't know, even know how long that lasted, you know, it seems like it was just a couple minutes, but I said, I want to see where he was at. And so they took us to the spot and it was a long ways away. Um, it was a long ways from the house, how he got that far. No one knows. It's not usual. The sheriffs actually have a, um, when kids go missing, they're usually within a quarter mile of the house. And Noah had, I, I can't remember the exact distance, but it was definitely over a mile. They normally go within a quarter mile and sit down. And because Noah had gone so far, he changed the way that they search for children now. They have now changed the way that they search for children because they realize it's possible. So we went to the spot. Um, we all, you know, sat there and cried and it was terrible. And then uh, we went to go um, see his body. And, uh, man, that was, just thinking back, that was uh, just one of the hardest, hardest things ever. Um, You know, his little cold body laying on that table and just hugging him and kissing him and just wishing that he would wake up. And screaming and crying and uh, it was just, it was really, really, really tough. That was the hardest thing any of us have ever had to go through and um, really changed the way that we view our relationship with the Lord. Um, as I said, you know, at the beginning, life was good. You know, we were living the dream. You know, we had a house, we had uh you know, I had a job, we had kids, everybody's healthy. And, you know, you kind of get into that mentality. Well, I'm, I'm doing right. I'm living well. And so God's going to bless me. And here we were, we're living right and doing well and it seemed like God had cursed us. Mm-hmm. And so we, the next few months, we really had to wrestle with that. Lord, who are you? Mm. You know, I was doing right. How dare you do this to us? But by the Lord's mercy and by the Lord's grace, we humbled ourselves under the Lord's hand and said, Lord, we don't understand this. We don't know why you've done this, but we trust you. Mm-hmm. Your word says you're good. You've always been good to us. And so that was one of the toughest lessons we've had to learn. Um, but the lesson that we took away from that is it's not do good and good happens. We live in a, in a messed up world, but God can take the messed up things that happen and bring good out of them. And he certainly has done that. Mm-hmm. This uh, January was five years. Yeah. Yeah. 
as you look back on five years, what have you learned? Um, what are some lessons that you've learned? Well, I remember um, we had a night of hope here at the mm-hmm. church, and right. one of the questions that and you had hosted it, right. and one of the questions that you had asked me was, "How did God walk with you through this?" And um, I didn't know; I had to really think about it. And so I went to the Lord and asked, "Lord, how did?" you walk with me through this. It doesn't seem like you did. I know you did because I didn't, you know, I didn't do anything crazy. I, I didn't fly off the handle, but, and it was then about a year later, the Lord reminded me, you remember you used to be a drug addict? Mm. You remember you used to be an alcoholic? You used to use any excuse. You didn't need an excuse to go use drugs. And not one time when your son was missing or over this last year, did you even think or consider to go back to drugs or alcohol? And it was in that moment I realized I was truly a different person. I never would have been able to see that. I would have, I would have suspected it, but I got to see in vivid color. I got to see in truth that I was truly a different person, that God had truly changed me. I was no longer the person I was in 2006. So that was one of the huge lessons I've learned, apart from the other one, that it's not do good and good happens. Mm-hmm. Bad happens to everybody. It rains on the just and the unjust. Mm-hmm. Um, but God is good, mm-hmm. and we are never going to stand in heaven and accuse him and say, you were wrong, and you shouldn't have done this. No, we're going to say, you were right. Mm-hmm. And if we could see from his perspective and one day I believe that we will, we will know, we will see even more how he was walking with us through the tragedies that we all go through. One of the things that captured me a few, I guess a few weeks ago, I asked you just stop by your office and I ask you what are similar question. What are, what are some things that you've learned? And you said uh, every year that goes by is a year that I am closer to, heaven and I'm closer to seeing Noah again. And I was really captured by that. Yeah, that's right. Um, I heard Levi Lusco, he wrote a book, um, I think it was Through the Eyes of a Lion, and he had lost his daughter. She had an asthma attack. And that was one of the things that he had said in his book. He said that he realized that every year that went by, he was that much closer to seeing his daughter again. And so I kind of have adopted that. You know, it's been five years and I am now five years closer to be reunited with Noah. Right. Yeah. Right. So now you're in a new chapter, uh, just kind of part of the story as, as you guys um, really, as a result of the tragedy of, of the loss of Noah, it, it really brought our entire community together. Thousands and thousands of people from West Tennessee were walking through those woods and, um, you uh, very you and Destiny had had just begun attending here at Fellowship, yeah. And um, we we didn't know you that well, but through the course of uh, Noah's loss, uh, we forged a deeper relationship with both you and Destiny as a part of this faith family, and and really um, saw in you through that time a incredible depth, um, godliness, maturity. Um, I'll never forget you and destiny standing up at Noah's funeral. And at that time in the backdrop, we had the big backdrop that had the names of Jesus. Yeah. 
and you're quoting, I believe you quoted the entire chapter of Romans 8. Big portion of it. Yeah. And uh, it was in that, just seeing you, Jacob, it was God has a anointing on this man. And I don't use those terms very flippantly, that there was something in, in hearing your story, knowing that there was a there was a preparing, there was a work that God was doing. And so you and Destiny uh, invested here at Fellowship and got involved in various ministries. And uh, I think you did Fellowship U and taught some Bible studies and just connected into the community. And um, several years ago, we had a uh, uh, our campus pastor at South Campus had transitioned to another ministry and uh, I was I was there for a season of time, kind of filling in the gap, and um, and yet there was still that kind of in the in the back of all of our minds that uh, the name Jacob Chamberlain kept coming to the surface, um, and uh, and so as the Lord would lead and doors would open, uh, you've transitioned to being a pastor of our South Campus, and. Uh, and and as as leaders, we have identified very much your gifting in in pastoring and in uh, communicating the word of God, and really playing a vital role uh, within our South Campus. How has that been for you? I, it's it really is unbelievable. I mean, especially you know having just shared where I've come from. And I just shared the highlights, you know, not right. not the depths of the depravity where I was at, you know, 15 years ago. It is so, um, it is only the Lord mm-hmm. because where I am right now, it does not happen like this. This does not happen. Someone who 15 years ago was living on the streets, sticking needles in their arm is now pastor of a church mm-hmm. and not, you know, not, not just a... Uh, fly-by-night church, you know, that I set up in, you know, in my basement or something right. that, that's, that has strange beliefs. You right. know? We're talking about, you know, an actual church that right. takes doctrine seriously and and loves people and loves, you know, the community. Mm-hmm. So it, it is, it's amazing to me. And if it wasn't for the his, my history, if it wasn't for the darkness before the light, I would never feel qualified. And I only feel qualified now because like you said, it's the Lord doing this. Mm-hmm. I did not pursue this. This was the Lord doing this and moving all the pieces and parts into position. Mm-hmm. That gives me confidence to move forward. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean that I feel like I've got it all figured out because I absolutely do not. I've been doing this for a year now, pastoring the South Campus. I have missed tons of opportunities to minister but the people are very gracious. They're very understanding. They know that I'm trying to do my best. And so, um, so that's kind of, it's, that's what it's been like. I'm trying to do my best and, um, and learn how to be a pastor, learn how to be less like Jacob Chamberlain and more like pastor Jacob mm-hmm. Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's honestly, it's tough um, there's a weight, there's a responsibility, there's a heaviness that comes with pastoring and the responsibility of standing up and teaching God's word to people who are going to take what you say and maybe alter or or reorient their lives in a certain way based on the way you open the scriptures. And of course, the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. But 
there's a weight that comes with that. However, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Mm-hmm. I found great satisfaction in it. Um, I love being in God's word. I love discovering things to share with people. I love finding um, easy and simple ways to explain hard concepts. Um, I just, it's something that I believe God's put in me and I really enjoy it. Yeah. Well, and I I really believe that uh, I've listened to a lot of communicators over 20 years of ministry and I've told you this several times, but you're gifted. You're gifted in that way. Uh, God has gifted you uh, with the ability to do that very thing, to open up his word. And um, and I also think based on your story, there is a um, there are doors that are opened. Uh, there's doors that are open to uh, individuals who maybe are in similar places that you were 15 years ago. And you have a, an authority, uh, not of your own, but of Christ in you, um, that I think is incredibly um, inviting and compelling. Um, and uh, to see the, the radical change that God has brought about in your life as a gift of his grace, uh, to see you having walked through an incredible tragedy of the loss of a child and and you still hurt and you still ache and it's still hard but God held you and he was with you and and you endured you endured through that and the spirit carried you through that and now uh, to see that you are in a leadership position that you are um, giving your life away to others is very powerful and it's only like God and God's in the business of doing that. God's in the business of redeeming. Yeah. It's almost like he knew what he was doing uh-huh. when, when he, he allowed me to go through those yes. dark things. I mean, yes. that's what he does with us. Yes. You know? yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's, you're a trophy of his grace. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, Jacob, um, I so appreciate you coming on. I think this podcast is going to be a, a great, great encouragement for many, and um, you are you are a blessing to me, and you are a blessing to to many in our community. And I thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today on the Story Form podcast. For more information about Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, you can visit us at fellowshipjackson.com. Join us next time as we enter into the story of others together. <laughs>